Good morning. It's good to be with you all. Enjoyed the service this morning and thank the Lord for that hope. I was uh, reflecting on a few things the last couple of weeks. I don't remember if I'd mentioned it. I'm sorry, I can't remember who I tell what to, so forgive me if I repeat. But I am keenly aware of the aging process, not because I feel so terrible, but because I look around and I see people like Brother Sam, good to have you all here, and I think I am older than you were when I moved to South Carolina, and I would have thought that Sam was an older man then, and now 30-something years later, uh, maybe that's a good sign for me, maybe I have more than 30 years yet, we'll see. Uh, but here's the thing, two weeks ago, uh, received news that one of my classmates passed away. Growing up, there was a group of 16 of us that pretty much went through our school years together uh, from a couple of different churches. One of my classmates, Scott Near, unexpectedly passed away. He was the first of our class. Two days ago, I got notice uh, from a friend that a lady I went to Bible school with, I don't know exactly her age, but similar to mine, unexpectedly passed away as well. And I have that awareness that I am in that age group where people are more frequently passing away. What does it have to do with today? A couple of the songs we sang, the picture, Will Your Anchor Hold?, that, that whole song paints the pictures of ships withstanding the waves and making it through. And the last verse says, there's coming a time when the last wave has crashed, and we're going to survive it, and that's the good news. Uh, Stayed upon Jehovah, I love that song as well, where that, there is a place where we come to the Lord, and he provides us that solid place. Special welcome to all of our visitors. I don't know who all of you are. I know who some of you are. I think we have to mention Jeff and Shanna. They're back from Cherry Creek, South Dakota. Jeff serves as pastor there uh, at the mission, so really good to have them and their family back this weekend. And for all the rest of you as well, glad you're here today. Take a little break, stand up, shake hands, say hello, and we'll get on with the sermon. Good to hear the happy chatter. 
The Lord is good. It's good to be a part of a family that loves each other and cares each other about each other. Brief introduction to this morning. Wellspring is intending to have a couple of ordinations in the next number of months and recognizes the need for likely even more than those two that are planned within the next uh, number of years. As we've gone through the process of coming to that point, there's a couple of things that have become evident, and that is that we probably ought to hear teaching on some topics we don't always hear about. Our search continues for someone to specifically teach on the roles of pastor and deacon. Our intent is to have a pastor ordination in December, followed by another ordination for deacon in January. With there being two, thank you, Sean. With there being two uh, ordinations, different roles, we think it helpful, think it will be helpful for us to have clear teaching on what is the understanding, the biblical understanding of the function of those roles. That search continues. Maybe I'll make the announcement now. I was going to make it during announcement time, but I uh, have a fairly lengthy list of men who I called to come in and do that teaching for us. And so far, the answer has been no. And I don't want to resign to us having to do it internally, but we will do that if need be. That was supposed to happen next weekend. Well, obviously, it's so short notice now, it's like you, I'm embarrassed to even say next weekend was our preferred weekend, but we currently do have a very gifted, semi-retired Bible teacher uh, who actually teaches on this topic, and he is wanted until tomorrow to think about it. Uh, because it does need to fit in with some other assignments that he has. If that happens, it would be the second weekend in November. And we know there's some other things planned. Uh, that's our communion weekend, but that's the only slot that it fit in on the calendar. So we are hoping to hear a positive answer from this brother. As is often the case at the ordination weekends, you hear about qualifications. Dean and Tony and I were discussing this, and we're like, why don't we hear about that earlier? Why should we wait until the weekend of the ordination to begin thinking about that? And so that's what I intend to do this morning, is to briefly look at the biblical qualifications of bishops and deacons, uh, ministers and deacons, pastors and deacons, whatever term you want to fit. Uh, I'll give my understanding of that briefly. <clears throat> But this is not to address the roles, this is to address qualifications. We're still hoping to have that teaching on roles uh, in a month or so. I won't tell you the entire story, but I want you to know that this is a topic that has been close to me and my experience. As a young man, I observed the church that I grew up in, churches similar to ours, and I felt like the leadership structure was less than ideal. <clears throat> and I began a search for what was a good structure, what was the biblical way for church leaders to function. I probably made pretty near a full circle because 
I'm much more comfortable with where I started than what I was in my 20s. But the Lord took me on a journey that gave me a much better understanding of what Scripture says, and included in that was my own personal journey of being unwilling to be a pastor and pushing that notion aside and not wanting that to going to the place of feeling a very strong sense of call and uh, also then being enjoying being in that role. <clears throat> There's a couple of books. One I was looking for. It's not on my shelf. I don't know why. It's one of the most instrumental ones. It was on my shelf. I think I lended it to someone. So if it happens to be you and you're done with it, I would like to have it back. But it's a, a book called Biblical Eldership by Alexander Straub. And it's not... I wouldn't subscribe to everything he says, but I found that book extremely helpful uh, in describing from a biblical perspective uh, what those roles in leadership are. Another shaping thing for me was the Shepherd's Institute. That is still going, by the way, and it has been joined by several other uh, seminar, week-long training kinds of things. There's one that Faith Builders puts on called the Servant Institute that I would like to put a plug in for whoever the newly ordained brothers are here. I would love if the church could support them. It's actually a two-year program. It doesn't mean you attend Faith Builders for two years. It means that over the course of two years, there's training and interaction that happens with a few weekends where you do travel to meet with uh, a group of men who are doing the same thing. So that's the backdrop. I care deeply about the topic. Uh, as I studied for this, I, I probably think I should have two or three Sundays, and I don't. And so you're going to get a crash course, hopefully accurate, hopefully biblically accurate, that reflects what God says. 1 Timothy 3 is the most common and the most lengthy passage that addresses the topic of qualifications of elders. 1 Timothy 2, 2 Timothy 2 has a short mention. Titus 1 has a mention as well. Uh, the Titus passage is similar in length to the 1 Timothy 3, but not with, with quite, not quite as many uh, qualifications listed there. So what I'd like to do this morning, I want you to help me read the text on the screen. And I had this pretty little outline. It was so much fun. I took the exact words of First uh, Timothy 3, and they went into outline form, and they fit good. And it's like, okay, that doesn't fit on the screen. Neither does it explain it. And so my outline's still here, and you won't get to see it. But I really like my outline because it was Scripture. And the way that it was written makes so much sense with all its little uh, qualifying uh, phrases and understanding. But we'll get to that. I do have a handout then later on that I'd like for you all to jot some notes down. And the purpose of this is to, to get our minds thinking, who is it that God would want to be in these positions? One of the things I think is very important is that ordinations in a church are not political. And I hope you heard that. They are not political. They are not finding people who agree with me. They are not building a, a party of a particular thought. 
unless it's the thought that he has to agree with God. That's what matters. What we're trying to establish here is what does God say, and hopefully there are many men who are qualified, who meet the qualifications. And the question becomes, who is God calling uh, for this office at this time? Let's read some scripture texts. We are going to run out of time if we don't roll on. So I'd like for you all to read together with me, first of all, the 1 Timothy 3 passage altogether. This is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and a snare of the devil. We'll come back to that, but isn't that interesting? Those two verses have the same reason for why. Let's go to the Titus passage. Titus 1.5, all together. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children and accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. And finally, the Second Timothy 2 passage. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. All right, so I don't know if you noticed or not, but there's some repetition there. And I have a chart where I hope to illustrate that and show the lists side by side and show their overlap. Then we're going to condense them and talk about what does that mean. First of all, just as he approaches it here in 1 Timothy 3, he says, if a man desires the position of a bishop, he's obviously talking about an office. He's used the word office or position depending on the translation you're reading. And the way that I observe 
this term being used the way that we practice here at Wellspring is that we do not have a separate office for a minister and a bishop. Our understanding is that Scripture, and I'll show you in a little bit a couple of places where this is true, is that the terms bishop, elder, and overseer are used interchangeably in Scripture. Now, on the practical side, there does have to be structure and there is difference in function, but we see two primary offices, that of bishop, elder, minister, pastor, uh, that being the one grouping, overseer being included there, and then the second office being that of the deacon. So this is the bishop, elder, overseer that we're looking at. If you look at uh, Acts 20, 17, and 28, and Titus 1, 5, and 7, you have within the same group of verses these different words used interchangeably. This is the one in Acts. You'll find these phrases. Called, Paul called for the elders, and then in addressing them, he says, made you overseers. It's, it's the same word, but in the English translation, it's used differently. The, in the uh, Titus passage, he says, appoint elders, and then he goes on in the qualifications. He says the bishop must be blameless. Once again, obviously talking about the same thing. So apparently, the bishop position was the same as the elder overseer, uh, but Within that structure, then, there does need to be a defined function and the differing roles within a leadership team. I'd like to address another thing he brings up here, and he says, if you desire that, it's a good thing. This is a touchy one, and I hope I can uh, honestly but correctly navigate it. Desire is a good thing. But I think it's going to be fair to say, if it's only desire, it's problematic. It's also fair to say that if there's no desire for an office and the church calls and there's no, no sense of calling there, that can be problematic in a different way. So what he says here is he says, if someone desires this, and in fact, if you read the wording, it's... It's almost like he's, he's pulling from a group, he's looking at a group of men where maybe there's numerous men in the church and they're saying, uh, I maybe should be the, or I could be, I'd be willing to be, I'd like to be uh, the minister, pastor, elder, overseer. Uh, and he's addressing that from a healthy perspective. Having been someone who has a strong sense of call, had that prior to ordination, it did present its problems. And uh, I think I probably would handle it better now in my 50s than I did as a younger man. But it became very delicate when I had people talk to me about what is your calling. Uh, some of them did not understand the sense of call that I had, and they had a real problem with it because they thought I was campaigning for the job when it was not my intention at all. I, uh, what they didn't understand was the journey that I had been on and how much I had rejected that call, how much I did not want that. And it was a significant wrestle for me to come through and to 
to be okay with that and to, in fact, embrace it and say, okay, God, if that's what you want. In fact, it's where I think it becomes very healthy for the way that we practice it. Not only is there a desire, but it's confirmed by the church. And it's not just an individual saying, I want to be in a position of leadership and influence. It's the church saying, here's a man who's qualified and we want, we're nominating him, we're asking him to fill that role. One thing that's interesting, this is just an aside, this desire is not just a little, uh, a little tweak. I want to, uh, let's see here. The, the, the text describes the office as a good work, and just make the statement, it's good and acceptable to desire. The strong desire, however, reveals the person and the value system. This same word is only used a couple of other times in Scripture, this verb, to desire. The other places it's used is in 1 Timothy 6.10, where it's the desire for money. Uh, coveted after is the wording there in the English. And also in Hebrews 11.16, the same verb is used in a desire for heaven, where they desire a better country. These are deep longings. So, and what, what I find interesting is that Paul's saying it's okay for that to be there. It's a good thing. So if you're one of those people with a strong sense of call, uh, I'm going to say uh, hang on to that, but trust the Lord. Let it be what he wants it to be. Uh, I'm going to get to a little bit more on that one. Don't, don't make that something personal that you're pushing. So let's go, let's add to this a little bit. What are the motivations to be? Why would that desire be there? And I'm going to ask the flip question then. What would some motivations or some wrong motivations be? Or not? No, I'm saying it wrong. What would some motivations be for not being in that office? So just several things that I would throw out. Motivations to be, these could be right or wrong. Is it for pride, selfish ambition, position? Is it... Truly gifting, does somebody have a servant heart? Is it just what the Lord has placed on their heart? We don't know that looking in, but those could be, all of those could be motivations to be. Motivation not to be, once again, it could be some of the same things. You know, it might be pride that would keep you from accepting an office like that. It might be selfish ambition. In fact, maybe misguided. If God is placing a call on your life, and you're saying, I have other things I want to do. I don't want that. doesn't look appealing to me. Maybe that's selfish ambition as well. Or maybe there's a wrong view of self. It's possible that you don't have the same view of yourself that God does. Or maybe, unfortunately, you have observed people in positions of church leadership, and they have handled it very poorly, and you want nothing to do with that. Hopefully, motivations to not be and motivations to be can be brought into check. Within the last year uh, in my work, which is financial in nature, but it goes way beyond that. I've had the, uh, it's maybe a little more than a year now, but there have been three ordinations that people that I've, company, owners of companies that I've been working with, ordinations in their churches impacted them. 
And it's been fascinating to walk that journey with them. Uh, in one case, I was actually, well, shorten it. Two men. One had a very strong sense of call. The church said, we're going to ordain a pastor. That person is going on the mission field. This brother had been on the mission field at that location before he got married. He wants to go back. When we started working with him and his company, it was one of the goals. He wanted to arrange his company to the point that he could leave it, either sell it or leave it to someone else, and it would support him while he goes on the mission field. Well, guess what? He wasn't ordained. His best friend was. I also happened to know his best friend. His best friend didn't have a sense of call to go on the mission field. He also had a company that needed restructuring, and it needed some help. He's a good man. He's a good heart. He'll do great pastoring, but he had a different vision. And it was fascinating in working with both of them as they walked that journey of what do you do when there's a sense of call personally it's not affirmed by the church, or on the other side, you didn't have that strong sense of call and desire, and the church asked you to do something. The only way I know to come to terms with that is to do this, and that is to say, and this is for everybody, if you're a follower of Jesus, this, this should be what you say, God, I'm available. I will serve you however and whenever and wherever you want me to do so. And when I come and I'm available, I don't have to worry about all the particulars of what that looks like. So for the, the friend that I have who was not ordained, that's now become his journey. Okay, how can I serve the church in another way? My father was in the lot twice. He was not ordained. After the second time, he said, okay, it came, that came shortly before he sold his company and, that he had taken from a fledgling state and built to a very profitable company. He took that. He sold it to his partner and spent the next 25 years uh, doing more ministry-oriented things. And that was the story my dad had was, okay, I'm not ordained by the church, but I'm still called by God to be a servant and to do something. What is that? We're going to have to move on. Desire is a good thing. Desire what God wants. How can I serve the Lord and the church? That's the question we need to ask. So then we go on. Uh, here we go. The bishop, now we're talking about the person. First, we've been talking about the office. Now we're talking about the bishop. This is the person, and he says they must be, and now we have an ongoing list of character qualities and one skill set. Uh, Calder and Luke, can I get you all to pass these out, please? Should be enough for everybody 16 and over, I think. So what you're going to see is you're going to see uh, a list of qualities, and this is the combined list from the three passages that we read. And I invite you as we run through this to jot some notes down if you care to. And you'll notice I said there's one skill set there, and we will get to that. That's the, the app to teach. I think there's some 
There'll be some additional papers up front here, Luke, then that were extra. If you have your list and you want to see it, does anyone know what that one skill set is? Anyone pick it out or know it? I'm calling it a skill set. I think it could be a gift as well, but it can be acquired. Able to teach. Everything else is character. There are some other things that are done mixed in with that character that are described there, uh, but there's, there's a lot of just character uh, description that's happening. Thank you, Calder and Luke. Did everybody get a copy that wants one? Over here, Calder, we have another one that's needed. Raise your hand. And in the back, you just walk past someone else. There we go. Anyone else? Okay, thank you, Ben. Thank you for your help. So we're going to go through this and, and look at what, are, what is this character, what are the characters? It's who we are, it's beneath the veneer. We typically are on our best behavior and we, uh, we have a way we present to other people. Uh, and I'm not suggesting we shouldn't be careful how we present. I think we should. It would not be a pleasant world if everybody walked around with uh, all of their trouble and problems hanging out all the time. Uh, we're best to process those in healthy ways and times. But character is who you are behind the, the scenes, under those masks, behind the veneer. Skills, what we do, things that can be learned, and I'm going to just say it's helpful if you're gifted in that. But I'm also going to say that if there's ever a question, and I hope it's not this, but if there was ever a question between only character and only skills, please take character. Some skills can be learned. But hopefully it's a blending of the two, where there's a character that is supported by skills and gifting. This is not something that is haphazard. It is not, I'm occasionally one of these things. No, this is who the person is. This is who they are through and through. And so now I'm going to show you uh, let's see. Up, oh, I see. I missed the slide here. That's okay. All right, this is the combined slide. Uh, I was going to show you three columns that showed where all of these words came from, but and I apologize. That's blinding now uh, because of the way I was copying, pasting from where I was making a list. I didn't have the time to change the backgrounds and the colors on everything. Uh, but over on the left column, your left over here. Those numbers indicate the number of times mentioned or, or the number of passages in which it's mentioned. And so if you would like a copy of this, I'm happy to uh, make a copy and email it to you. Uh, let me know. But what I did on this side, th this is just the left side is a list of everything just pulled straight out of the New King James Version. And on the right is an attempt at some simple uh, definitions. And what I discovered is that there is some question on some of these things. There's some overlap. It's not always real easy to say this is what it is. Um, so we're going to get it close. And if you all have more to add, I'm open to it. But in the study that I've done, uh, I feel like this is fairly close to accurate definitions on these words. I give credit to John Kitchen. Uh, he has a book called uh, Pastoral Epistles for Pastors, 
And I find that very helpful. It's a very definitive thing in which he goes through, and he has so many citations where he has read from many different places. So some of these words don't come from him. They actually come from other places that he's pulled from. But let's just walk through the list. You have blameless. This is actually mentioned twice in the 1 Timothy 3 passage and then once in one of the others. But it, it's no skeletons in the closet, no grounds for accusation. The, you have someone who, obviously his people were imperfect. And so it's not talking about somebody who's perfect. That's Jesus. But for us as humans, men, are we blameless? Are we living where there's no grounds for accusation? The husband of one wife. This one in itself could be a whole sermon. Uh, there's about six different options that John Kitchen presented that here's ways that you could understand that phrase. And I'm going to say that the best way, I think, for us to understand it is with the understanding of this is a one-woman man. And I'm not going to go through all the nuances of does it mean that a widower could not get re, be remarried and be a, a pastor or is it divorce and remarriage or whatever. Uh, that's actually where the modern discussion has mostly gone is dealing with the issue of divorce and remarriage. I worked with a, a man for many years at, in the ag business and he was a, an elder in the, his church, I believe. He got divorced and remarried, and he was very grieved about it. It wasn't his choice to leave the first marriage, but he just said, now I'm disqualified from church leadership. And that was his understanding from a Protestant setting. The third line, and here's one of the... The few that have a three, there's only two in this list that have a three on the left. This is one. And I should say, I don't think that that three makes it more important. All right, let's say it this way. I don't think it makes any of the ones less important. Let's say it that way. There is emphasis here that I think we do well to pay attention to. And this is in the realm of someone who is temperate, not quick-tempered. Uh, I think the King James talks about not soon angry or not someone who doesn't get angry real quick. A patient person. It's anger under control. And then here's the other thing is that temperate word comes in. There's an element of that that goes beyond. It's more of a general term. And it implies has uh, indications including alcoholic use. So it's not controlled by alcohol. Self-controlled is a, a broader term, disciplined, sensible. Sober-minded is prudent and thoughtful. Of good behavior, it's respectable, well-ordered, modest, right priorities. A lover of what is good, it's joy in good things. Uh, once again, also, those two are actually kind of linked. Uh, hospitable. The, I wish I'd remember the exact word. I don't have it written down, but that's actually a compound word that means loving strangers. And it's easy for us to be hospitable to people that we're comfortable with and that we know, but this is actually talking about more than that. The stranger that comes through, the, the person who you don't know, there's no reciprocation. In the Jewish culture, it was, it, it was almost insisted upon that you would take someone in. You would not leave them in the street if they came to your village. You must take them in. 
And it's along that line of caring for others in a hospitable way. Here we have the other number three, able to teach. All three passages mention this in one way or another. This is one that, that I do think is important. If you go back to, uh, this is going a little more to the role side, but if you go back to Acts where they describe the need for deacons, what were the apostles saying? They said, you get deacons to take care of the tables and the, the practical needs because we need to spend time in the Word and in prayer. And so here's where I'm saying gifting is very helpful along with the character. People need to be able to explain what Scripture says. Uh, able to teach does not mean you have the gift of gab. There, we have expressive people among us. I'm one of them. Just because I can talk doesn't mean that I'm able to teach. And uh, there's, you, you probably ought to go look at the details there. He specifically says you should be able to convince people. And that's a tall task. But he's talking about addressing people who struggle with what they believe. Uh, the line right below it there, be able to exhort and convict. That actually is connected to the able to teach, and that specifically is mentioned in two passages, and it just has to do with what does it mean? What does the Bible say, and what does it mean in practical living? Not given to wine, and it means not addicted to alcoholic drink, nonviolent, peace-loving, peaceable problem-solving, no intimidation. The root of this is people who have a problem, and their instinct is they want to solve it with physical force. And he's saying, not violent, not greedy for money. This is another one that we probably ought to spend a lot more time on, but it's not seeking wealth. Money is not the primary priority. And then there's this element of it that is not doing ministry for the sake of financial gain. Uh, the, the background wording there is sordid gain, uh, ill-gotten gain, and Paul talks about that in another place. You shouldn't serve in a position of ministry for the money or the support that you may get. Gentle is gracious, patient, steadfastness, even in difficulty. Not quarrelsome, peaceable, not argumentative, not covetous. Free from material idolatry. Scripture tells us that covetousness is idolatry. And then we have this thing of how is it at home? And the Bible makes the... the observation that if things aren't well at home, then it probably won't go well with that person trying to lead in the church. So it's leading at home, it's a godly father, it's controlled children, and it addresses the child component. They're not a novice. This is simply talking about someone who's spiritually mature. It's interesting that the Titus passage does not mention this, and it's thought that maybe it's not mentioned there because Crete, where Titus was, was a much newer uh, church plant, and everybody was a novice. And so they were looking from within that group, okay, we're all newer. Who are the most mature, most qualified men among us? Have a good testimony, specifically with non-believers. It's integrity as we interact with people around us, a steward of God. It's a recognition that I am God's a manager of the things that God has given to me, I'm not self-willed, I'm workable, I'm not stubborn, I'm not arrogant. Uh, when you have, 
I didn't even go into this, but the, my biblical understanding now, this is part of my journey, I would have been at a point at one time where I would have said a paid pastor was the way to function in a church. In my journey, I have come around to understanding that bishops and deacons almost always are plural, and it's what God intended that there be a team of men, not just one person uh, responsible there. And if you have someone who is self-willed in that context, that is going to be very difficult for the team to function well together. Just, honest, fair, good, trustworthy, holy. This comes from that word, uh, uh, same one that we would use for being sanctified, set apart. Uh, it's, it's a picture of being dedicated to the Lord. There's devoutness that's happening there. I feel like that is just crashing through. I, I wish we had more time than this. Maybe we'll have to come back to it another time. I want to go to the deacon uh, topic briefly yet and just say a couple of things. This is the same word. I printed it up. I didn't bring it along, but it was on two pages. If you look at the word diakonos or something like that's how it's pronounced, that word is used for deacon. It's used frequently for servant. It's used frequently for minister. And so if you're just reading in the English and you're looking, uh, and I've actually had this conversation with a brother uh, in which we were discussing this thing of ministers and bishops, and he was pointing to scriptures where it was saying minister. What I don't think he realized was that he's actually pointing to words that was the same word as deacon. And so it's used more generically in scripture where you have this servant of the gospel, the servant of the Lord. But that's the same word that's used here also for deacon and for this office that's described in uh, 1 Timothy 3. So focus on serving physical needs. The person also have quali has qualifications. It's likewise, it's similar to the overseer, and it says it must be. Once again, it's an ongoing characteristic. And then here's one that people have parsed as well. What about the gender issue in the matter of deaconesses? I'd like to briefly just say a couple things about it. This is not a full treatment of the discussion. But just to acknowledge that in 1 Timothy 3, you have one verse that's inserted in the deacon description, and it says, it, many translations say, and so likewise must the deacon's wives, their wives must be. There's an argument among scholars whether the there belongs there. And they make the argument that it's addressing women, and that verse is inserted for the purpose of describing women who can hold this office. I don't come out at that point. I understand their logic. Uh, and I'll tell you why, just a little further uh, as we go through here. Actually, very simple. Phoebe is mentioned in Romans 16 in the first and last verses, and she is described as a servant of the church. Once again, that word, diakonos. And if you do research in church history, the churches that use deaconesses in an office, they will point back to this and they will say, this is why we have deaconesses. Phoebe was the first one. Uh, Paul says there in verse 1 to accept her, and he actually, my understanding is, she was a part of taking that letter to the church at Rome, and she was 
a servant serving in that way, an official representative of the church. Here's the reasons I don't come out with seeing deaconesses as an office. I see it as a function. I think that the church has to have women who serve. We have to have servant women. The reasons I don't think it's an ordained role is because Paul proceeds 1 Timothy 3 with the clear teaching in 1 Timothy 2. If you want to go and look there, he's talking about the functions within the church, and he very clearly says that women are not in authority over the men, and he tells them to be silent in the church. They do have roles, but the church is not the place where they exercise those, uh, or I should say, the church in a, in a group gathering is not where those uh, positions of responsibility are exercised. The second thing for me is that in the listing of deacons' qualifications, it's the husband of one wife, it's rather difficult for a wife to be a husband. So I come back to, I think that the deaconesses, the lady servants in the church, that is very much there. We can establish that, but as far as the formal office ordained by the church, I would not understand it that way. Once again, I have a list here for deacons. I'm going to run through this very quickly. I see I'm past time, out of time. Reverent, men of dignity, worthy of, uh, worthy of respect and honor, not double-tongued. They're reliable, not saying obsolete things, sincere. Uh, this has to do with uh, giving an indication, uh, saying one thing depending who you're talking to, something else to someone else, or uh, representing it to somebody because you're wanting them to hear it a certain way that may not be what you actually think. Not given to wine. Uh, it's not addicted to alcohol. Not greedy for money. This is identical to the... Uh, Qualification for bishop, it's not seeking wealth, money being the primary priority. The pure conscience, this is a conscientious person, they have freedom from sin, they're tested. It mentions that for the deacon, let them be tested and then serve. Once again, I think going back to the idea of a mature believer, someone that is not a novice, not new in the faith, blameless of good reputation. Once again, there's no grounds for accusation, no skeletons in the closet. And now we flip to that verse where it has about the wives. They're reverent, they're not slanderers, they're temperate, they're faithful in all things. So these now are women of dignity, worthy of respect or honor. They're not malicious gossips that speak evil of others. They're under control. They're not controlled by alcohol. They are trustworthy in all of life. That is family, faith, Christ, ministry, all of it. They're faithful in all things. Now we flip back to the deacon. It's the husband of one wife. It's that one woman man we discussed. He rules his own house and children well, same as we discussed earlier. And then if in Acts 6, we actually have, we have two more there, and I didn't take time to put these on the screen, but in the process of ordaining deacons in Acts, they said... Find men who are full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. So these are men who are controlled by the Spirit, not by themselves or by self-will. They're full of God's wisdom. James says, the wisdom that is from above. 
is that is godly, heavenly wisdom. So to wrap it up, I have two, two phrases here. One is a quote from John Kitchen that I really like. Time does not always equal maturity, but maturity always takes time. Somebody said change is inevitable, but growth is optional. This is a little bit the same thing. It, time goes on, we get older. The question is, do we mature? The other phrase that I think is a standout as we look at this topic of qualifications, that is, past faithfulness builds confidence for faithful service in the future. So I'd like to encourage you men. I remember being a 20-something-year-old man moving to Athens, Tennessee. Now we need a leader. And there's six men there in their upper 20s, lower 30s, and I think that we would all say the same thing. I know for me it was like we look around the table and like, you're kidding. Me? We didn't have an ordination for a while. So if you're in that place, you're looking around the room mentally, whatever, you're thinking about who's going to be ordained? Is that me? Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Whether you're selected for church office or not, please be available to serve the Lord in the church and be willing to serve whether it's in an official office or not. And if you're the brother who is called by the church, then serve well and know that you are going to have the support of the congregation. And in the meantime, for all of us, who among us should not have these qualifications? I think we all should strive for them. It should be for all of us. We need to stop. Let's pray. Thanks, God, for today. You've blessed us. You've been so good. You've gathered this group of people together. And we just pray that as we walk towards this ordination, that you would give wisdom and understanding into what your will is. And we pray that you would call the men that you want to be called for this office, this time, this place, for this group of people. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.